Hi, this is Paul Butler. I'm the Senior Pastor of New Heart Baptist Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. We hope that this podcast will be a great blessing to you and encourage your life. We can expect all the promises of the Lord to be true, to be yes, and to be amen, to be fulfilled in Christ. We can take the Father at his word because his word is true and he doesn't change. Scripture says he's not a man that he should lie, but God is true. Everything that he says he will do, he does, because he keeps his promises. And then I thought, well, why is that? Next one. It's not happening now. Thank you, Beth. Why? Because that's who he is. And we were singing about that this morning, that he is the promise keeper. He keeps his promises. That's who he is. That's his nature. Now, you've probably, we've been talking about promises this morning, and I know that there are promises that have been fulfilled in your life. Brad just shared one before. And I have had some promises that have been fulfilled in my life, personal promises. And the first one was, after I got saved, I started praying for Peter. I prayed for him for 23 years. Not quite as many as you praying for your brother or your, your grandmother. Was it praying for you or for your brother? But I prayed for 23 years. Because the scripture said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you and your whole household will be saved. And then in, in Corinthians, it says, for the unbelieving husband is sanctified by his wife. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified by her husband. Otherwise, their children would be unclean. So God takes his promises very, very seriously. And he takes our promises to him very seriously. I've made my own promises to God, and that can be a really dangerous situation when you do that. Um, I wrote in my Bible in 1989, if it takes my death... To bring Peter to you, Lord, I'm ready. That was a wild, wild promise to make. Eleven years after I made that vow to God, I was managing a mission shop in Beanley. And I used to get in there in the morning and I'd put on the praise music before anybody would come. And I'd worship God and I would read my Bible out aloud. And if I had any volunteers that were working with me that day, they were invited. Whether or not they were Christian, they were invited into that little space with God. So one mo- that morning I was reading Psalm 91 and as I read through that psalm, God spoke to me. I got to Psalm 91 verse 14 and it says, Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. And this voice, I kid you not, said to me, do not read it like that. Read it like this, because she loves me. Oops, I'll go back. Yep. Because Look at all the promises in this. Because she loves me, I will rescue her. I will protect her, for she acknowledges my name. She will call on me and I will answer her. I will be with her in trouble. 
I will deliver her and honour her. With long life, I will satisfy her and show her my salvation. There's some awesome promises there. But there was also a sense of, what are you trying to tell me, God? Why are you telling me this now? And I felt that this was a warning. And he had done this before on a previous occasion, given me a real definite scripture that was a warning. And um, he was giving me a heads up because I found that night that I had cancer and I was diagnosed the very next day. And then four days before, so can you go to the next slide? Four days before surgery, I woke up with this scripture. This voice said to me, read 2 Corinthians chapter 1. So this is what I read. I get down to verse 9 and it was so for me. It says, indeed we felt in our heart, uh, indeed we felt we had received the sentence of death. If you've ever been diagnosed with cancer, that's the immediate thing that comes to you, that you feel that you have the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help by your prayers and then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favour granted us in answer to the prayers of many. So that's why I feel that there's a promise and then there's the thanks. And we can certainly be thankful. And it was through that experience, facing death, which can be really a scary experience, that when I was holding on to those promises of God, that Peter came to know him. So that was well worth it in my books. Yeah. Um, he saw God in action. He saw my response to God's promises. He saw faith being worked out. And Hebrews says, now faith is the, wait a minute, faith is confidence in what we have hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And then during that chapter, it goes through all of these different experiences that the ancients had. Some of them were persecuted. Some of them were sawn in two. Some of them faced jeers. And some of them actually received their promises and others didn't. These were all commended for their faith. And yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us. So that, only to, uh, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. So do you think I was thankful when uh, Peter came to know Christ? Absolutely. So how did I know that I could trust God? How do you know that you can trust God's promises? Why don't you just have a little think about that? You know, we can read scriptures like Psalm 145, which says the Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving to all he's made. Hebrews 10 says, let us hold unswervingly to the, faith, to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. But how do we know that he is faithful? How do we know 
that he keeps his promises. While we look to the past. God's reputation is at stake and he holds that in such high esteem. He doesn't want his reputation to be marred at all. When we look to the past, we look and see what he's done, how he's done it and why he's done it. How do you know that you can trust someone? Well, you look at their track record. See, have they lied to us before? Have they kept their word? Have they done what they said that they would do? And if that is true, if they have done that, you know that you can put your faith in that person. And the same goes for God. Have you ever noticed how many times God says, then they will know that I am the Lord, when you're reading through the scriptures? Like he is so concerned about his character and his nature and his name and what it implies. He's just absolutely serious about that. In Ezekiel, we've been reading through Ezekiel lately, it mentions that phrase, then they will know that I am the Lord, more than 70 times. I think he's trying to tell us something. All of us have different starting points for trusting God. Now, it might be something that he's done in your life or in the life of somebody that you know. But for me, I knew that I could trust him because I saw the way that he dealt with his people, Israel, in the Old Testament and in history. And I am totally convinced that the Jewish people are a living witness that God keeps his promises. My dad, who's now been gone for 39 years, loved Jesus with a passion. And he would say to me, you can trust God. He keeps his promises. Look what he's done. He's brought the Jews back to the land that he promised them after 2,000 years. He's done what he said he would do. And I have seen it with my own eyes. God fulfilled that in my father's lifetime, and he testified of that. But I want you to notice that that fulfillment of that promise was all God's doing. It was not reliant on Israel or their behavior. It was all God. It was his mercy, his reputation. And we need to take a note of that. God's name is everything that the word of God says to describe him. His name is his reputation. Remember the third commandment. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. He is still the same God. He's not a man that he should lie. He's still keeping his promises. Israel are actually his people forever. Jeremiah 31, I just want to read this to you, says, this is what the Lord says. He who appoints the sun to shine by day, who decrees the moon and the stars to shine by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord Almighty is his name. Only if these decrees vanish from my sight, declares the Lord, will Israel ever cease being a nation before me. This is what the Lord says. Only if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below be searched out, will I reject all the descendants of Israel 
because of all they've done, declares the Lord. So they have not been replaced by the church. On the contrary, we, the church, have been included into Israel. You can read all about that in Romans chapter 11 and in Ephesians chapter 2. It says that we've been grafted into the olive tree and been made together one with the Jew, God's own special people. The two have become one. We've become adopted into the family of faith, grafted into the olive tree, and we are now part of the household of Israel. But we have certainly not replaced them, but have been joined together. So let's look at one of the promises he made specifically to Israel, and this is what I want to look at. And I'm doing this because I want you to see that God is faithful to his promises. What he said he would do, he fulfilled. And this is in our lifetime. This is crazy. So a bit of background first, because if I tell you lots of promises that God made to Israel, we will be here for days. But just want to just do a little recap, and then we'll look at this one uh, promise. So we know from scripture that Israel are God's chosen people and that his intention has always been to show himself through them as a holy God, a God who deals very seriously with his people and that they were meant to be a light to the nations and that God would send his Messiah through them. Now, because of their disobedience, he scattered them through all the lands of the earth, for all the four corners of the world. But he promised that he would bring them back to the land specifically chosen by him. And that would happen in the last days. So that gives us a little clue as to where we are in the whole God timing thing. This is the promise we're going to look at. So God's made it very clear, I believe, that Israel is to have suffering, persecution, and God's judgment now before Messiah comes. And in their hardship, they will return to the Lord and this will glorify him and make his name known and holy and honoured throughout the whole earth. So the promise is from Deuteronomy, but I have got a stack of promises. If you want notes on this, I've got pages of them. (laughs) So the promise is Deuteronomy 30, verse 3 to 6. When all these blessings and curses I have set before you come on you and you take them to heart wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations and when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul according to everything I command you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. Even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. He will bring you back to the land that belonged to your ancestors and you will take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that, they, so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul, and live. The Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies who hate and persecute you. You will again obey the Lord and follow his commands I'm giving you today. Now, 
This next slide is for those who just want to take a photo of all these scriptures. This is just some of the scriptures that talk about how God is going to bring his people back to the land. And this is called the second exodus. It's not something that's widely known. But I actually came to know about it about 1984. <laughs> I got this book off my shelf the other day, yesterday, because I want... I wanted to just have a little look and see when it was written. It was 1983, and I think I probably got it the following year. And then inside, it talks actually about this second exodus and mentions all the scriptures. And then when I, when I found it, I found this little bit of paper. I don't know if you're on here, Clive, wherever you are. That's, um, what's his name? Clark Taylor at Christian Outreach. This was a little newspaper that was around at the time for Christians. But it talks about there's an exodus of Soviet Jews hinted at by the Russians. And that was a long time ago. That was 1986. Now, that didn't get fulfilled until the beginning of 1991, but we'll look at that in a second. So the second exodus was going to be greater than the first from Egypt. I want to read just one of those scriptures. Jeremiah 23, verse 7. So then the days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives who brought the Israelites up out of Egypt, but they will say, as surely as the Lord lives who brought the descendants of Israel up out of the land of the north and out of all the countries where he banished them, and then they will live in their own land. Like, I believe that Israel is a picture of Messiah. I believe that they are a picture of his suffering, his death, his resurrection, because scripture always shows us the natural first and then the spiritual. Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days. He was, so Jewish people believe, dead, and then he was resurrected. And that was the sign Jesus gave that he was Messiah. That, they, that he was like Jonah. So for Israel, they were in the Holocaust three years. They had three years of death. Then they came to life. 1945 to 1948, they became a nation. The transportation to extermination camps began in 1942 and stopped in 1945. It's three years. So, like, it's a little bit different, three days to three years, but there's still the comparison there. They, there was a release from the death camps in 1945. In 1948, they became a nation in one day. Like the scripture says, can a nation be born in one day? I want you also to notice the similarities between... Jesus and characters in the Old Testament. He showed us what Messiah was going to be like when he showed us a shepherd king like David. He showed us a saviour like Joseph, a prophet and a deliverer like Moses, a priest like Aaron, prophets like Daniel, Elisha, Elijah, Isaiah. And I believe history is his story. The whole of history is God's story working through his people and his land and his earth and us.
quarter of the Bible is prophetic. More than a quarter of the Bible is prophetic. And of 590 prophecies concerning the last days, 570 at least have been fulfilled. There are only about 20 to go. So hold on to your hats. Now, some of these include the Gog and Magog War, the rise of the Antichrist, the return of Jesus, Armageddon, and the new heavens and the new earth that we're all looking forward to. Isaiah 43, verses 4 to 6 says, Since you are precious, sorry, since you are precious and honoured in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. This is not the return from the Babylonian exile. This one says they're going to come from the, all the four points of the earth. And in the Babylonian exile, they only came from that one. The return to Israel, they call it Aliyah, um, means going up. Going up to Jerusalem or going up to the land began in 1882 and has grown in the number of Olimor immigrants and the countries where they were immigrated from. They've had five initial, there have been five initial alias um, between 1882 and 1939, as well as rescues and numerous operations since 1948. Now, these operations include Operation Eagle's Wings in 1949, when 50,000 Jews made Aliyah from Yemen. Then there was Operation Ezra and Nehemiah from Iraq in 1950, the Aliyah of Moroccan Jews in 1954, Operation Moses in 1984, where approximately 8,000 Jews made Aliyah from Ethiopia. And then, following a, a regime change in 1991, the new Israeli government agreed for a sum of $40 million to redeem the rest of the Ethiopians. That's just staggering. During Operation Solomon, which lasted less than 48 hours, 14,000 persons were brought to Israel. I think they're pretty good at logistics. I want to just show you a couple of pictures here. This was in 1949. This was Operation on Eagle's Wings also called Magic Carpet Ride, <laughs> Operation Magic Carpet. This is fascinating. These were the Falasha Jews. They came from um, Saudi Arabia. They were of a remnant from the tribe of Dan. And now there are more than 160,000 Israelis of Ethiopian origin back in Israel. But these guys came from the high mountains of Saudi Arabia in Yemen, where they lived for 2,400 years, and they had never, ever seen any modern modes of transport. In 1946, 
one Yemeni priest, this really gets to me every time, one Yemeni priest prophesied that at some time God would return them to the land of their forefathers on the wings of a silver bird. How awesome is God? 43,000 of them walked to a British camp where the British government arranged uh, the first Jewish airlift um, on silver Dakotas. And you can see them, they're sitting there waiting. Well, this is the first group. Some of them are sitting under the wings of the plane to find a little bit of shade. And one member of the group was the community's rabbi and he brought with him a Torah scroll that was said to be between 500 and 600 years old. The largest Jewish group or population after the USA was the former USSR with three million Jews there. Now they suffered a lot of persecution, pogroms and what. But when the border opened in 1990, 185,227 Jews left there to make Aliyah and it has never stopped. Thousands of Christians had been praying for this uh, in fulfilment to the word of God and there were also dreams and visions by many and this book by Steve Lytle, he was one that had extremely intense visions about that even with maps appearing on walls showing the routes where the, the Russians would um, make their way back to Israel. Fascinating book if you can get it. Uh, as a result of that work, there was an organisation created called um, the Ebenezer Fund and they had Operation Exodus where they sent Christian fishermen, that's what they called them, in response to the, the verses in Ezekiel where it says that God would send fishermen and then if they don't come, he sends hunters. I believe that at the moment there's some hunters being released in the world that are hunting the Jewish people and because of the great persecution, they are flocking to Israel. So just be praying for them. So Operation Exodus sent Christians into Russia to tell them about God's promises and they started to come back and many, many Christians supported that work. Um, they started to come initially by plane and then there were ships which then also fulfilled the, the scriptures about ships bringing them from Tarshish. Um, many Christians financially supported this work and it still continues in cooperation now with the Israeli government. According to the prophecy, so hang on, I've got a photo of the Russian Jews coming out. I'll tell you this little story. I had been witnessing to a Jehovah's Witness, well, a girl who was studying with Jehovah's Witnesses, and I had been chatting with her about the differences. This was a very long time ago. I was working with her, and I lent her some of my books that I had paid a lot of money for and had been specifically brought out from America that dealt with JWs and cult things. Anyway, I lent her the books. She left work. I didn't see the books again. About, I don't know, maybe eight years later, I ran into her at local shops. And I said, oh, do you still have my books? And she said, no, I burnt them. I said, why would you burn them? I'm in the phone book. You could have looked me up. She said, the elders told me to burn them. 
Yeah, I said, if they told you to put your head in the fire, would you do that too? Anyway, I got a little bit dirty. <laughs> they cost me a lot of money. Anyway, I said to her, the things that I've been telling you are true. And I will tell you this, that when you see the Jewish people come out of Russia, you will know that everything that I have told you is true. Would you believe that night, I'm watching the late news, and I see the first plane load of Russian Jews come out of Russia to Israel. Do you reckon I was dancing around the lounge room? Yep. I was thankful. I'd seen that promise fulfilled. So, these were some... Um, Jewish people that were coming from Russia. So according to the prophecies in Jeremiah, this exodus in the last days would have a sign of weeping. And this happened whenever the Jews came to Israel under British rule. Even the British soldiers wept. It also, started, it also happened when they came out of the Soviet bloc. Isaiah 61 verse 4 says that they would return after many generations. And this is not speaking about the Babylonian exile, which only lasted 70 years. This would occur after many generations. One generation in scripture is normally 40 years, and this prophecy took over 2,000 years to be fulfilled. It was many generations. Cities that have lain waste for 2,000 to 3,000 years have been rebuilt and continue to be rebuilt. Verse 5 says, Foreigners will dress your vines. This didn't happen in Ezra or Nehemiah's return, but this has been happening ever since Israel has been back in the land. Amos 9 says, I will bring back my exiled people Israel. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine and they will make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land I've given them. This didn't happen, as I say, in the previous returns, but it spoke of a future time. Israel produces some of the world's best wine. Vines from Europe's best vineyards were given to Israel in 1948. And we've drunk some of that wine. It's pretty good. Israel is blooming at the moment, they have this forest, reforestation program. These are amazing figures. In the reforestation program, 4,400,000 trees were planted in 1948 and 130 million in 1978. And as of 2023, the Jewish National Fund has planted more than 260 million trees by hand. That's a lot of trees. These prophecies regarding the Jewish people coming out of the nations are prolific and this literally being fulfilled in our lifetime with Jews coming out of 150 countries. This year of 2023, finishing today, has seen a 434% increase in Aliyah, from the former, from, just from the former Soviet Union. I got those figures from the Jewish Agency. This past year, the number of Jews has ex, is expected to exceed 50,000 Jews 
and does not include the 300,000 Israeli citizens who were abroad and returned home. They rushed home to defend their homeland. So the times of the Gentiles are coming to an end. So we need to be a watchman. We need to keep an eye on what's happening all over the world and especially in Israel. But more than that, you can look at God's track record and you can ask yourself whether or not you can trust him. God has promised us a number of things. He's promised that he's your saviour. He's your deliverer. He's your healer. He's your provider. Your peace. Your righteousness. Your comforter. Your encourager. Your teacher. Your strength. Stack more. God keeps his promises. I believe that the promises come first. Like in this particular situation, he gives his promises and then you can be thankful when you see them fulfilled. But you can be thankful before that. You can be thankful in faith because you can see that they're going to happen because he keeps his word, because his reputation is at stake. Thankfulness is our response to seeing these promises fulfilled. He says, enter his gates with thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise. I just think um, thankfulness begins to rise in our hearts as we see those promises fulfilled. What else can we do but be thankful? And then from that, this praise just comes out of our mouth, you know, like it's the vocal outpouring of, of the thankfulness that's in your heart. Thankfulness, I think, gets us in the gate. And then you get a little closer when you start to open your mouth and praise him. If you want to get into where God is, into that secret place, open your mouth and praise him. Praise him for his, thank, you know, his, his faithfulness towards you. Now, we've seen just in one promise how God has kept his word to many, many people. And now it's time for us to take God at his word. There's no mucking around now. You know, the end of the, the times of the Gentiles are coming to this end. Jesus is going to come back. It's getting closer and closer every day. And it might be sooner than we expect. So we are a people who can look up and see our redemption drawing nigh. And that's worth thanking God for. That's worth praising him for. That's worth living our lives honouring him for and drawing others to him. So sometimes, you know, we've, we've had promises from God or we've felt we've had promises from God that haven't been fulfilled or that are slow in coming. Hey, we don't have to wait 2,000 years. I only had to wait 23 years for Peter. But sometimes we don't see them coming. We don't see the promises straight up and we have to wait. And sometimes that can be a little wearing. But I want you to put your faith in God. He keeps his word. 
it's his track record that's it's at stake. And um, I'm going to play a song for you now. I wrote a long time ago called Faithful One and uh, just expresses how faithful Jesus is. And I'd like you, if you have had promises that have been delayed and you need prayer, I just invite you to come forward and there'll be people who will come and pray with you, who will give you a word of encouragement, who will speak into that and just remind you of who Jesus is, how faithful he is, how he's promised that he will never leave you, he will never forsake you. Hide me 